that validation leads to these men feeling heard and understood, possibly for the first time in their adult life. And that's how we break that cycle. And that's what tends to get them to tear up because mm. the emotional floods are now open. They're being vulnerable. It's being respected. It's being responded to. And it's being supported and welcomed. Welcome back. We are on today with my guest, Max Stanley Caso on the Tour for This Shit podcast. I'm your host, Angie Sorensen. So I'm just going to get this out of the way straight away. If you like this episode, don't forget to share this podcast with a friend. Give it a five star rating. Leave a little review. You can do this on Spotify. Um, by following it you can also um, subscribe for free on apple Podcasts, radio fm amazon music wherever you're listening to this podcast it's how you can show love it is absolutely free for you it just really helps me getting in front of more audience and just expand the podcast so whatever you do that it just really helps the show and i really appreciate it if you ever have any questions or thoughts from this or any other episodes, I want to hear from you. You can message me directly at hello at angie-s.com or just click the link in the show notes, uh, which goes straight to my website under the contact form and I'll get back to you. So on to today's episode. Today we're speaking with Mac, who's a couple therapist from New York, and we are covering things like the new era that we are currently living in where men are opening up more, they're encouraged to open up more or they're expected to and how do we navigate this new paradigm? And we also go over how to discern between good and terrible advice on the internet, why men tend to cry at the fifth session in couples therapy with Mac, the misunderstanding behind happy wife, happy life, so all of these little things we go over with Mag and I really enjoyed speaking with him. I thought he had some great insights and we also finish up with a bit of fun with a fire round of the five worst relationship advice according to Mag. So after this episode, you can go on to uh, episode number 96 with Dr. Swan. I feel like it really complements this really well. Uh, she goes over how to go from a conflict-fueled relationship to a conflict-free relationship. So um, I think those two really complement each other. So you can do that after you listen to this one. So without further ado, oh yeah, by the way, it's episode 100. Exciting stuff. Just want to say thank you for listening to me for all this time and still being here. Thank you for being part of this. And yeah, episode 100. Who knew? So without further ado, help me give a big, warm welcome to Mac. Let's begin. Hi, Mac. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Angie. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. Well, I am really excited to have you on the podcast. Um, I've been following you on Instagram and listen to 
some of the things you've said on other podcasts. And I really, really, really wanted to speak with you. I really enjoyed all the things that you say and some of the things that go a bit counter um, relationship advice sort of culture. And so which we're going to get into a bit later. Um, and so today we're going to talk about what love is like for some men, because we can't speak on behalf of everybody, but I'm going to say some. Uh, in 2023, you know, how open can we be with them? How safe or unsafe do men feel with uh, women now? How can we find our happy couple? And also want to touch on um, part of your mission, because I know some of you, if I understand correctly, part of your mission is to normalize therapy especially for men, but even more so for black men. So we're going to get into it a bit later. So before we dive in, Mac, please introduce yourself, where you live and what you do. Hello, everyone. My name is Mac Stanley Cazzo. I am a licensed mental health counselor with a specialization in corpus therapy. I'm a Gottman level, level three trained therapist, and my expertise tends to be around infidelity recovery, Black men going to therapy, recovering from a narcissist, as well as lately porn addiction. I reside in New York City, and I am the owner of a private practice here in New York. Mm -hmm. So I just got to ask you before I ask you the next question. When you say they recover from narcissism, do you mean like for them to try and undo the narcissistic traits or they recover from a narcissistic relationship? recovering from a narcissistic relationship i i think in in a lot of scenarios once the partner identifies that they were in a, in a narcissistic relationship and things did not work out there's a lot of healing unlearning and safety that needs to take place prior to them even thinking of a future relationship and they also need to identify exactly what is it about them that predisposed them to be with a narcissist. Yes, yes. And that there's definitely a lot of um, healing to be done with that. And I like that you said that it's it's on it's, it's on both sides, right? We have to be... It, it's part of a, like, I find like it's an empowering thing to know what part do you have in this? Like, what part do I have in this? It's not just like... Because I feel like if we just blame, oh, that person was this, that person was that, or they acted this way, they may have been. However, if you were with someone for a longer period of time and let them do it over and over again, it's important to look at it from your side. Like, why is it about it that made you feel like you wanted to stay or you couldn't leave, right? So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's on two. It's, it's not just one person, one story. Exactly. And that's the work. The work is what has been your contribution to it? What role did you play in it? What predisposed you? What part of your unhealed self do you need to shed and overcome? It's easy to blame someone else. It's easy to just say it's somebody else's fault. But when you start taking the accountability and start looking yourself in the mirror and start working inward as opposed to outward, that's when the work really begins. Mm, I can I ask you one other question around that, though? Sure. Have you found that, because, you know, sometimes people think, oh, like almost like the default would be to think that, oh, it's maybe like, you know, a family member where you grew up or a teacher or something like in your upbringing or in your childhood, which is, you know, highly likely, perhaps. But I have found that I have met people who've gotten into 
that kind of relationship, but in later life, is something that has been some sort of a, I'm, I'm only assuming here, but there must have been something, some sort of a change. Because, you know, sometimes life events can sort of change your reality a little bit. And all of a sudden, they, like, hit this point that lets... That, that that leaves room for that kind of relationship to enter their life and cause havoc. Or is that, or, is that, or am I completely on the wrong assumption? Well, no, no, no. I, I, I do think that that theory is applicable as well. The, the research has shown on most cases is due to the fact that one, one of your parent or one of your parental figures at an early age were unavailable to you or a narcissist themselves. But I think that in later stages of life, there are there are events that happen that that can lead to one becoming codependent. And that codependency is exactly what attracts a narcissist to you. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. So they can really suck that life out of you. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it's nourishment, it's vitamins to them. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so can I ask you, Mike, like what got you into this line of work? Um, I would to be honest with you, what really got me into the idea of couples therapy is due to my own journey. At at an early age, I would say in, in around my mid-20s, I was with my current partner. And I just did not have the skills needed to really strengthen and enhance my relationship. We were struggling with communication skills. And I would ask the people around me, but no one could give me an answer because they were all speaking from their perspective and from their experiences. And I didn't care for that. Mm -hmm. So um, that led me to just do more research around couples therapy. I took an elective course around marriage and family and from that point on i was converted i knew that this is what i was going to do for life because i could only imagine the amount of other men and women that are seeking to be better but did not have access to the knowledge the mindset and the skills needed Mm -hmm. so i wanted to be that bridge yeah and you know that's the thing is that um because i find that i mean when you said about you know skills for relationship and struggle for communication i think a lot of us like you know relate to that i mean i find to me like for the longest time like communication was the hardest bit like it's very hard to speak up sometimes and say what you want and need because you don't even know what you want and need sometimes you know like you don't know what what's going on but i think that one of the 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 issues with the the age of information right with the internet at our fingertips is that there's a lot of dating advice out there that's very very harmful <laughs> you know that's very very harmful right so it's like it's like it's not just even like seeking advice but it's like making sure and it's hard to know when you are blind to your own like when you all have when you, we all have our own blind spots right i mean i followed some terrible terrible advice and caused harm in my relationship because i thought mm-hmm. i was doing the right thing because i was trying to get better and i was mm-hmm. trying to improve and i was like oh this is good for him this is good for us not knowing i was hurting that person and i think yeah. like once you see that and once you start once i started to get better 
get better informed advice and part of it was like my guest actually on the podcast it made me see like sometimes all of the horrible things I've done or said and it's like it is really is um you have to be really careful who you get advice from and you obviously knew quite early on that your friends may not know it's like the blind leading the blind right or projecting yeah to, to, to me the difference is there are a number of people on these social media platforms talking about relationships. As a therapist, I educate on relationships. So there's a significant difference between what it is that we do. They offer their opinion, their perspectives, and what they think works. I know what works. I have the knowledge. I've done the research. I've been in this field for a while. So my repertoire is a lot larger. So when I am speaking on relationships, it doesn't sound like an opinion because it's not. It's just me sharing the research, the knowledge, and me educating on relationships. So that's the difference between me and them. And how, like, if someone, you know, if someone's listening and they go on social media, how do they know, or YouTube, and they, how do they know that that person is just voicing an opinion versus educating? Like, how well, there, are there any flags that can hear? Yeah, I, I would say those that are just spewing thoughts and ideas, they tend to be a little more theatrical mm -hmm. because they're entertaining. And here's the formula. They, those that are just sharing their perspectives or their opinion, they tend to say one plus one equals two. Mm -hmm. Right? It's very direct. It's very common knowledge you're not really learned learning nothing they're just reaffirming reaffirming your own biases compared yeah. to someone that's educating they tend to share information that you've never thought of that you weren't preview to and that you can see how practical and applicable it is so someone saying you know what girl you know he wants it for you because that's not who god chose for you that's one plus one equals two you're not really saying nothing versus what is it about yourself that allows you to continue to be in unhealthy relationships? What self-work that you need to do yourself mm -hmm. pertaining to your attachments, mm -hmm. pertaining to your familiarity that, that continues to develop in relationships around you. Yeah, I'm just here nodding my head because I'm trying not to say too many harms so I don't like interrupt. But yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. I think that, but that's the thing as well is like if you, it because it, it to take a really like, it, to take an extreme example, you know, if you see someone in a really, really, um, you know, in a domestic violent relationship, or, you know, in, in, in a relationship with, with a lot of violence, you know, physical and, and otherwise, and you know, people are always like, why aren't you leaving? Why aren't you leaving? Why aren't she leaving? Why aren't she leaving? And it's like, the thing is, it's like, as long as you could remove that person from that home and put them somewhere else, as long as they haven't done the work or can't unsee, they can't see what's going on, they will go back to either that home or to another home that's ex exactly the same. And it's like, it's all about, and that's an extreme example, right? But it's like, in any other scenario, if you can look within, because that's the thing, there's certain things, I mean, you know this, right? It's like, if you... Some things that I've realized, you know, through therapy work and 
having to face myself, there was like, once I realized something, I just could not unsee it. And any dynamic that used to be super attractive to me, (laughs) I was just like, oh my God, no. I was like, no, no, no. And I still have to be on the lookout for it. But I think it's just like, once you see it, you cannot unsee it. You still have to be aware of it. But that's, it really comes from personal work. If someone just says, oh, you should just get out of that relationship or you should do this. It's just bypassing all of the, the, the proper change right inside of you. Yes, and that's the worst advice you could ever give someone that's in a domestic violence relationship. Mm-hmm. Worst advice ever. Because eventually they're going to realize that because they're not doing what you want them to do, you're no longer a safe space for them. So now you're just another person that could have been an asset or an ally that they will no longer communicate to or remove themselves from. Instead, what you want to do is continue to remind them you are here for them, whatever they need. You are here to help give them a keys to your house if need to be. And just let them know whenever they call, you will pick up. So when that day come, that they are ready to walk away, they know they have a support system waiting for them. Yeah. And it's not easy to be the friend of someone who's going through that either. Because, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, Yeah. I I, I heard you say, um, I heard you say, on the podcast now, I think it's a good mom's bad choices. Mm-hmm. I think I heard. I, th- I think it was there. I heard you say that men. So when you cause obviously, so you do couples therapy, and yes. the men in the therapy sessions cry yes. by the fifth session with you. Ninety percent of the time, yes. <laughs> so that gave me a little a little giggle as well because I just I can kind of see it happening. But I just wanted, can you tell a bit more about that? Like, what's what's going on there? Like, why is it? So by the time that we get to session five is when we start really focusing on knowing how to communicate, how to express ourselves, how to use feeling words to 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 kind of communicate exactly what our emotions are and what's going on for us so in many cases it's the first time these males are being exposed to the language that they need to really express what it is that they have been experiencing Mm -hmm. being able to say i've been feeling unwelcome i've been feeling invisible i've been feeling like as, as a second thought i've been have been feeling unprioritized in this relationship and also teaching their partners exactly how to respond to these emotional cues, to these conversations. It's not just you sharing your perspective or telling them, no, that's not true. It's realizing that what they are sharing is true for them, Mm. whether you agree or not. Mm-hmm. And your agreement is not needed. But instead, what you need to do is learn how to validate these males. You know what? I can understand why why, why me working so much is making you feel unprioritized in this relationship. Because whenever we are spending time together, I tend to be on my phone or I get to hang out more with with my other friends and not really attuning to your needs in the relationship. Yeah. And that validation leads to these men feeling heard and understood possibly for the first time in their adult life. And that's how we break that cycle. 
And that's what tends to get them to tear up because mm. the emotional floods are now open. They're being vulnerable. It's being respected. It's being responded to and it's being supported and welcomed. Yeah, it's it's so it's really really understandable. I actually like that you also mentioned how you know an example of how to respond because sometimes that's really hard. Sometimes you don't always know how to how to be there for someone or how to respond or how to receive what they're saying, right? Because often we also have to let our ego out of the way or exactly yeah defense mechanisms because we don't want to be portrayed as a bad guy, but it's not about that <laughs> at that point. <laughs> right? It's not well, about you it's exactly. About... <laughs> their feelings right yeah and yeah you're, 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 you're right I think a, a lot of people struggle with not being perfect yes and yes. we need to remind ourselves that we're humans we're not perfect yeah and it's okay to hear what is your partner's experience of you in the relationship and accept that to be their experience and work on making changes together yeah. to turn that negative experience to a positive experience. And and that's the thing. It's so important to hear that because it in life, I, I believe that everything's about perception. You know, this is why we all go around with different realities. We could be going through the same event and you and I would have a very different experience when we come back and, and talk about it, right? It's like we all have... Somebody think that you, we, everyone had a good time and the other person think that no one had a good time. And it's just like perception is really... Uh, is, is such an important factor. And I think I have found that some of the biggest changes, I'm thinking about family. When I remember one time I had this really deep conversation with a member of my family and these things that had made me feel really awful, I realized that when they actually talked about it, I was just like, oh my God, I got the complete wrong end of the stick. The stick. And the fact to hear as well, like the fact that I could say it and then hear them say back what it was, it was like an instant healing, like on the spot. I was like, oh my God. Like, so it's like, it's again about the two sides of the coins, right? So it's like, it's important to hear that, per you know, hear the other person. And and at the same time, it's, it's good to say it because then it gives that person who hurt you the opportunity to to say their version because a lot of the time people will go around unaware that they're hurting you right or that you, I go unaware I'm unaware of who I'm hurting I'm sure um I may have sent someone to therapy without even realizing it right that's that's part of the human experience right that's guaranteed guaranteed yeah, that's yeah. a guarantee yeah and it's like and this is not because Mike knows me personally he doesn't <laughs> <laughs> in general <laughs> but yeah and it's like we don't realize what we're doing I think is giving people that grace but I when you said about giving the men like the tools to express what they're feeling like this must be like because i was i was thinking about this before um before we met today um because i think like even for women right it can be really difficult to know what we're feeling but try to imagine like if like men are not necessarily given the space or the permission in society to have their feelings correct but yeah and so you push them down push them down push them down and all of a sudden, something's going to break, you know? And and it's like, the minute someone looks at you and says, like, really means it, like, how are you? Like, how are you? 
Like it makes you want to cry. You know, sometimes people's kindness is too much. You're like, oh my God, stop it. You know, it's like, be mean, it's easier. But like, yeah, or, but like all of a sudden, I can understand why the floodgates would start open. I mean, like, that's it. Like, it just breaks you open, right? Mm-hmm. So is there anything in particular that you've noticed in your couple therapy session that are the common denominator? I heard you say about men expressing that they feel like a second thought. Um, they don't feel like seen or almost like, a, yeah, a bit discarded. Like, what is it that makes a man feel that way? I think, well, not, not that I think. In society, men are taught to really just be the providers and have their identity be tied to their profession. Mm-hmm. And a lot of men feel that they don't get the validation from doing just that. And a lot of them are fighting to be present, but also not knowing how to be present. The truth of the matter is every male just want to be told that they are as successful and as handsome as their mothers have told them that they were going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, so, in, so in reality, when we're always saying happy wife, ha- happy life, a lot of men have learned to kind of put their needs secondary mm-hmm. in the relationships, but still take on most of the blame and attacks when things are not working out. So a lot, a lot of males nowadays are fighting back and wanting to also receive the same degree of care, emotional support, emotional awareness, validation, and recognition that they attempt to provide to their counterparts. And With how- the absence of those things, that's what leads to them feeling invisible, not prioritized, unwanted, and also not favored in the relationship. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I can see how, you know, especially like, you know, the whole provider thing, like it's, it's quite easily done to to being feel like used, you know, and that you just want it, you know, that's, I mean, that's a terrible place to be in, um, to feel that way. Um, I mean, is there... Is there a way, like, because that's the thing is with, with, um, with this day and age, right? It's very difficult to know how much, like, to get all of this in balance. Because on one hand, on one hand, there must be like a, an evolutionary advantage for men to have pushed the feelings, you know, down to the bottom of the pit so that they can keep going and like slay dragons, right? But now we're in 2023 and women are there as well say, slaying the dragons. There's a lot of changes that has happened. You know, we don't need men for the financial providing, all of that kind of stuff. It's very different. Now we're allowed to, I mean, in most, you know, I mean, I guess in the Western world, we're allowed to go to the shop without being accompanied with a chaperone or, or, or the husband, you know? So how do we balance out this new this new type of freedom in a way and make a couple work because you still need, there has, I mean, I don't know, like how do you make that polarity still work? Because you need some sort of a magnet. You need something, how do you balance all of the, 
being in your feelings and at the same time being the man and and the woman being the woman i think how like what's the a great question mm. that is a great question and in order to answer that we have to understand the way that a man has to show up in society is the opposite to how they have to show up in a relationship in society men tend to have tunnel vision tend to be very focused on getting to the next step, the next goal, because they want to climb the ladder and they want that social status. So therefore, in corporate America, there's really no room for men and their feelings, right? Men can't cry at work. Men cannot show too much emotions. They are taught to really be mundane and have tunnel vision onto the next goal. At the end of the day, what matters is the result, right? Yeah. So now when you come home, it's the complete opposite. You have to do a complete 180 and be this emotional, this warm, this understanding individual when you just spent eight hours being the complete opposite of that. So a lot of men struggle with their early years of just trying to survive, survival of the fittest in society. And now you're asking me to be this version of myself that I was never conditioned to be. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. Right. So that's where the identity crisis and the struggle tends to take, tends to take place. So if we want to have healthier males, we got to start changing what the workforce looks like and what it takes to be successful and stop judging males by their social status or their income. Because usually that does not directly translate to being a better partner. So, I mean, that's a big mission, right? Because if, if we, you know, changing how the workplace sees men, um, I think, I think like part of it I actually do relate to a little bit in terms of like, you know, cause I'm, I'm, I'm the only provider of myself. Right. So I'm also out working and I'm also like super busy. And, but sometimes like when you come home, like you need time to land and to get into that mode. So it's like, I think sometimes there's this very cliche uh, battle right between men and women of like the woman comes home you know she's been working as well as the man has and she comes home you may she has to like to cook do the dishes whatever and then after food he may just you know wants to have sex but she's just been working for someone else and then she comes home and feels like she may be working for him a little bit <laughs> and then he wants right. sex and it's like we both need to land right we both need to because i feel like there's also the advantage with in a relationship when it works well is that you are kind of each other's little safe space in terms of like it's a softer place it's a place where we can both relax we don't have to put up the um, all of these masks that we have to put up when we're at work and you know and, and all of the things that comes with like you know jobs um but it's like it's both being able to land and we and I think every individual lands a little bit differently when they come back from work, for example. Everyone is a little bit different in how they process the day, right? Correct. So the biggest two complaints that women have about men in relationship is that 
you're never there for me and there's not enough emotional connection. Mm-hmm. The biggest two complaints that men have is not enough sex and too much arguing. <laughs> so basically, yeah. they are saying the exact same thing. Mm. For men, intimacy, specifically sex, is how they feel prioritized, loved, appreciated, and etc. Because men don't have the, are not taught how to express themselves are now taught how to experience emotional intimacy. So sex is the is their method of choice on how to experience those things, if that makes sense. Yeah, right? no, it does, it does. So the reason why most men tend to seek out sex is because they're, they, they feel loved, they feel appreciated, they're being touched, they're being told, I love you, they're being kissed, and it's also pleasurable. I think the struggle, not the, I need to stop using the word, I think. The struggle that tends to arise in these relationships is that we need to start creating rituals of connections that promote both the emotional connection and the physical connection. And one of the best way of doing that is, is, is referred to as the de-stress conversation by Dr. John Gottman, is that after work, you guys sit together for 20 minutes. One person's going to speak for 10 minutes straight about their day, what's going on their, in their world, and et cetera, while the other person listens, and then they will switch roles. This way, both partners feel understand, they feel heard, they've, they've, they feel like they know what's going on in their partner's world, and that creates the emotional connection that then translate into the bedroom. On average, couples that have children only spend 10% of their time together. So now you really have to be mindful on how to capitalize on those 10% of the time and, and ensuring that you are tackling all of the emotional and physical intimacy within that time frame. Mm. Yeah. Do you know, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, honestly, I don't know how, you know, I know, I think you have children, right? I, mean, I, I do be, yeah yeah i don't know how people with children do honestly like i whew. um but i can i can totally relate to the thing you said about the de-stress conversation after work because i feel it's almost like something is often like it's on your mind right that's the bit that sort of puts almost like this like invisible barrier between being able to relax with your partner or not and i, I remember this was something that uh, a previous partner of mine he would do like he would see that i was like thinking about something but I didn't want to burden him with it. I didn't want to like be, oh, you know, because we were maybe having like a really nice picnic in the park. And he'll just say, just tell me what's going on. Just tell me. And I'd say it and I thought, and that was it. And then all of a sudden I could actually relax into the moment that we were having together. And it, there's yes. a lot to say of just like venting, right? You're not there to, you don't need a solution or a fix. It's just like getting it out of your system. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it also allows that both of you guys are landing together. Yeah. Versus one land first, the other landing takes longer. No, we have those 20 minutes to land and to connect as a couple. Mm. I like it. Should, uh, you know, I bet that couples even have like little names for that little 20 minutes, you know. <laughs> so like, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think it's great. Like, I, and actually talking about, you know, communication and stuff, like how... How, because I, I find that a little bit of, um, 
I have found that definitely in the past. I'm, I'm not in a relationship at the moment, so I, I don't know what it would be like now. But I have found that a bit of a difficult dance to know, and that's to know how much of our feelings can can you know can you talk about with a man like whether it's his or or mine like is there like does it maybe depend also like how committed the relationship is does it you know how long you've been together how intertwined your lives are or does it depend on the personality of each individual like how do you know how much you can really open up with someone are there things that maybe should just be spoken to with friends or family or a therapist or is it just green card for all, like with your, your partner? Like what was your what's your thoughts on that? According to Dr. Esther Perel, mm. one of the biggest mistakes that couples tend to make is expecting their partner to be their one and only mm-hmm. and kind of replace their social network. Then now that puts a lot of responsibilities on that partner. You just expect them to play all of these roles perfectly. And that's unfair. When in reality, what really leads to longevity and happiness is having a support and a social network that you could tap into for different things around your life. So yes, you should be able to talk to your partner about everything. However, your partner is not the dumping ground. Mm. Right. There are certain conversations that are reserved for your therapist. There are certain conversations that are reserved for for your girl group. And there are certain conversations that are reserved for your male groups. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's unfair to expect your partner to be able to deal with all of that. Yeah. So to answer your question, yes, you should be able to talk to your partner about whatever topic that you want to talk about. However, you also need to ensure that you have the support and the social network needed for when you need to talk about certain things that may not truly appease or be interesting to your partner, that you have a place to land those, those informations to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also because it, it can easily make you feel like somebody, somebody's crutch when someone's constantly talking to you about the same crap over and over again. You know, at the end, it becomes like, it's like a lot. You're almost like the therapist. Um and I, yeah, I, it's, this is some. I mean, this may be something that you have experienced, you know, you know, in in your in your former life before being in your current relationship. But mm-hmm. like, I have I have a friend, you know, she's a couples therapist, and this is something she pointed out to me, um, because she had the same issue. She said that when, because, you know, for some reason, like people just like tell me quite, like stories, and you know, I, I enjoy listening as well. That's the thing, but it's. She said, like, basically, like, sometimes, like, men would open up so much that they, it was, then they feel, like, almost, like, um, I don't know what the word was, but it was too much. And so they didn't really see that as, like, a um, a reason to carry on dating. It's almost like a turn-off. It was, like, too much. Like, and she says, like, I'm, this is so going back a few years, so I may be completely you know, I'm really paraphrasing here, but I remember she had to be careful that people just did not, like when she went on date, when they realized that she was a therapist, that people just didn't like dump on her. And mm-hmm. like, she was teaching me ways on how to like, try and like, you know, like move away from the topic, you know, especially if they start talking about their previous relationships too much or, or things like that. And it's like, just to like, just like sort of like gently move away from it. So they don't see you as someone to just dump all of their stuff. 
Does that make sense? Yes, I I, mm. I I do agree with you. I think it's very important to take time to first ask if someone has the emotional ca- capacity or the emotional space needed for you to just dump on them. I think it's unfair when it's unwarranted and it's not prompted and it's unknown that this is what's going to happen. So if I'm calling a friend and I need to just share, well, ask, hey, do you have the time to just listen to me right now? Right. So yeah. that does take some work. And how do you do you have like a good go to phrase for, let's say, if that happens to someone and they're on a date and the person is starting to really overshare, overdump and is getting, you know, too much. And it could even be like, you know, six months in the relationship, it keeps happening, it's happening. And how do you sort of like move away from that? Do you have any without without feel without the the other person like feeling completely like rejected and shut down and then shutting down that's a red flag to me if someone on a date especially early on is so really sharing and dumping that just tells me that you lack a sense of boundary mm. and you lack a safe space within yourself or with those around you to even share what's going on in your life so that would definitely be a red flag for me yeah. 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 No, that's true. <laughs> um, you talked about how men, you know, feel like, you know, how men and women, how they feel that emotional intimacy or how they feel like connected to the partners, you know. Um, are there are there any particular ways or that may be a bit too general, but are there any particular ways of how a man feels listened to? Is there any special way of their partners, how they how they act or how they receive the information? Um, so listen, so there's listening and there's active listening, right? Just because I'm saying something, you can repeat it back to me, doesn't mean that you're listening to me. Active listening requires that you put your phone to the side, that your your body's facing me and that we're making eye contact and you're as engaged into the conversation you're not interjecting you're not trying to problem solve but you're listening and you're partnering up with me in whatever it is that i am saying Mm. and i would even take it a step further men's men's love language tends to be physical touch so if possible put your body on them or vice versa like put your leg on them or have them lay on you as as they're talking or as they're expressing themselves because that helps them to lower their heart rate, create that closeness in terms of physicality, but also the emotional um, intimacy as well. Mm, it's a bit like when the uh, cats, when they lie on your <laughs> on your chest, tries to relax you. <laughs> yeah, no, I see that. I see that. Us, uh, us men are <laughs> us men are just big babies. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so for sure, treat us just like that like big babies right because 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 if you think about it outside of the home we have to survive we have to take on the world but when we're home we don't want to be in that space we don't want to be in that energy Mm. we want to feel prioritized we want to feel wanted we want to feel taken care of we want to feel appreciated that that is so interesting because that is also how i mean i can say how i feel as a woman you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, that's why going on dates is very, can be very relaxing when the man is like, oh, you know, it just, he's 
sort of organizing it and, you know, and then you just show up, you know, you get ready, you show up and you can just relax and just having a good time. Um, because it's nice to be not the one always in control, um, you know, when you work and stuff. So it's nice to just be able to just like, oh, just <laughs> relax and not having to make all these decisions all the time. So, um, yeah. But and, 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 and that goes to show you it's a human need. Mm-hmm. It's not gender specific. No. no. It's a human need. Us men, we like flowers the same way that you like flowers. We want to be taken out on dates the same way that you want to be taken out on dates. Right. Yeah. 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 Because we all, yeah, we all like, um, it's like the one where they talk about the, the love languages, where some people is gift, action, time. Um, that also like it goes across genders and cultures, right? It's like, you know, some of us really enjoy it when someone spends time, quality time and yeah. Um, others is touch, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it makes sense that it's, um, it goes both ways. In terms of like your work, because obviously, you know, when you when you see couples coming to you, I'm sort of a little bit curious at what happens before, because I guess like there's a very, I'm going to be very cliche here, okay? The, the image that there's usually portrayed uh, in society is that the woman is the one dragging the man to the therapy session. Like how... That's, that is the case. That is the case 90% of the time. And it's not just dragging on, I, I think... I, I think it's actually shifting because I've had a lot of males be bit on that initiative called post-therapy themselves. I mm. think it's changing because a lot of men are seeing other males as therapists. So they're finding the space where they're being seen, they're being recognized, and they feel like they can get along with those individuals. Yeah. A lot of men are seeking therapy now because, again, it's becoming a safe space for, for them. And it's also becoming a prerequisite to relationships. Yeah. Right. A, 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 a lot of the people that they're trying today will say, now you need therapy. Like, have you been to therapy? Have you worked through your trauma and these type of things? But if we're looking at the numbers, I would say most of the time it's the women taking their charge and finding the therapist and sending out the emails and making the first point of contact. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think, I, I think, like you said, it is, it is changing. I think it's also like, you know, thanks to, because obviously we have a lot of, like female representation in the therapy world, right? Yep. But there isn't many male representation. Oh, great. And I think the representation that's out there is also mainly like white, right? It's like there's a, and that's on both sides too, like for both men and women. So I think it's like there is a thing where if you see, if you, if you see a representation, you feel like it relates and you don't have to explain stuff, Mm-hmm. to the person because they just don't understand a few a few things even though even though i'm saying this i wish i did not have to say this because i feel like you know it's one human race but unfortunately in the world and dimension that we live in there's a lot of you know disparity and contrast and things like that that may, that means that 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 means that actually I'm, I'm even having to say those things but it's like so i think that's part of the part of the work is actually being the person who's out there, just like you are doing, right? So you mentioned Esther Perel. So she was one, you know, also like we talked about infidelity and stuff like that in a way that was not really heard of mainstream before, right? And I think like the work that you do is being out there and say, yeah, well, I'm a therapist. I see guys and I see guys who also, you know, 
on white. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like normalizing to go, oh, okay, actually, I don't have to feel bad about going to therapy. I mean, am I, is this, is this, am I on the right wave or like, what would no, you you're, think? You're 100% correct. And if we're looking at the numbers, that 4% of therapists are African-American and only 1% is Black. It's Black males, right? So there is a need for more people of color to seek out becoming a therapist. Yeah. So our goal is, especially one of my goals through my mentorship program where I take on other Black male therapists that are new to the field is to educate them on that process and help them um, increase their platform and their visibility because the more of us there are, the more that we are seen, the less stigma that will exist around it is there would you say there's like a cultural stigma to it oh definitely as yeah like what we're taught um keep your family business private uh whenever we tend to talk about our mental health concerns we're told to go pray about it or go go read your bible and only crazy people go to psychologists or therapists Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. actually if you ask my mom what is it that i do she can't explain it she'll just tell you i just talk to people oh camera. okay yeah to that level okay yeah because uh, it's funny because when you said about um the bible like my grandma did that to me like one time she saw me having complete meltdown <laughs> and the next day i had to show up and i had to apply because we don't do meltdowns in the family like mm-hmm. i'm the only one that's like you know, in that side of the family, I'm the only like person who like, you know, has emotions apparently. So or shows them. And I remember I had to go and I had to crawl back like the next day and like apologize for the disrespect and all that kind of stuff. And I felt really embarrassed. And I remember her reaction was she went, she had this Bible. She said, you know what, what has helped me is to read the Bible. And she did, she pushed it across the table and gave it to me. And that was the end of the conversation. But you know, it's like, and I know, like, this is not the same because I know, like, you know, she's so she's Danish, she's white, right? But she's very religious background when she grew up, and I think there's also, like, I, I, I think, I think also that generation. I'm, I mean, I know I'm veering a bit away from the topic, and we're gonna come back, but I think sometimes generations as well, they didn't have time or the luxury to have meltdowns, right? Like. Like we can, right? Like, like I can. Um, and I think there's the, you know, the, the things they had to go through and survive and things like that is very different. And I think we see it now as well. Like, I know, I feel like I'm becoming the embarrassing aunt, um, like at the parties, because there's a lot of things with young people. Sometimes I don't understand. I'm like, well, I don't think you really, you know what I mean? It's like, we, it's like a generational thing sometimes. I get it. Yeah, but I think there is there is that part, but there is definitely, I think, for sure, from what I see, there's definitely a lack. Like, there's a, there's a big, big disparity in anything that has to do with personal development, in anything that has to do with empowerment, in anything that has to do with therapy. There is definitely no, like, very little black representation. Um, you know, you, you're one of the few. Like, and it's, there's def- it's a problem. It is a problem. Yes, it, it, it is. But I, I also do think that um, us therapists need to be more mindful of that and 
be more supportive and be willing to share platforms with each other a lot more and to also be willing to mentor each other and share resources. And I, I think that will be a big difference maker in the longevity of this field. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're stronger when you're together, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Is that like, like if someone's, someone's listening and they're going, uh, no, I'm not sharing my platform with you, mate. Like, like I worked hard for my audience or my outreach and stuff like that. Like, how would you, what would you say to for that person to get out of that lack, that scarcity and that competition that's actually not helpful? Like, what would you say to sort of encourage them to think differently? Uh, that That's actually more common <laughs> than you think. Um, my, my feedback to that type of, to that, those type of disposition is just to remind themselves that, what's for you will not be taken by someone else and there's more than enough room for all of us to succeed yeah. within this profession so you putting a spotlight on someone else does not take the spotlight from you it yeah. could either yeah it, it, what it might do is actually bring more eyes to your platform yeah yeah no no for sure uh, absolutely and i think it also, it also, you know, if in a very selfish way, like it actually brings more credibility as well. Correct. If you can actually partner up with someone else who's also doing meaningful work, like if they, you know, like why not, why not actually get together with you and go, hey, hey, Mac, actually, let's do, let's do something together. Let's, you know, let's see how we can help each other. We all can win. We all can win. Yeah, exactly. Is there um, anything? I feel like I sort of cut you off on that a little bit, and I didn't. That was not my intention. But is there anything else that that you want to say? Maybe like like in terms of the reason as to why there isn't, like why we need to, like what part of like your mission is to actually not just therapy for men, but to really like emphasize it for black men. Is there another reason behind it as well? I, I would say that black men we tend to suffer and we tend to deal with a lot of oppression um, from different directions. And a lot of times we don't have the space or platforms or even environments that's curated for us to truly express ourselves and to truly partake in healing. I've been in locker rooms, I've been at barbershops I've been around those conversations. I've been previewed to what they are saying and what they are doing. So as a black black man myself, I understand the need for that representation and for that safe space. Mm-hmm. And in in many occasions, I've tried to, to look for those spaces myself and I couldn't find them. So I decided to become that safe space for others. I've decided to curate that safe space for others. So I'm I'm just hoping by by doing these this I'm hoping that by growing these platforms, by jumping on other people's platforms and by being the representation of these black men, they they then will be able to take the step of seeking out therapy a lot quicker with a lot more confidence. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, I think there's definitely um, a ripple effect because I feel that, I mean, you know, like we're talking about oppression, for example, right? And I think that a lot of this, there's a lot of, um, of horrible things that people do to each other out there, you know, and there's a lot of vulnerabilities and things that we need to be aware of. And I feel that because of sometimes, I mean, that's, that's just how I may be wrong here, but I feel that also like, you know, if you don't feel safe in a society or a neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera, it's going to have a whole other impact on you. And, and I think being able to, to go in and do, be able to talk about certain things in a professional environment, like with the therapy, is actually going to, in a way, save you. Does that make sense? Like, I think if, like, because I can, I, I, I can only imagine, because I, I had a very good upbringing, very privileged upbringing, but could I have also gone in a very different direction? And I think that without, if I didn't have the support and certain things in place, and in the end, you know, reaching out and actually getting the help, things will have probably looked very differently, right? And that's from someone who has had actually quite, you know, a leg up from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when you don't have that, you know, because I'm thinking because, you know, I had someone from the Innocence Project London and I feel like there's a lot of things that, you know, that happens out in the world that's very, very unfair, and I think that being able to normalize to go in and talk with someone who understands it, like, because I wouldn't understand it in the same way, right? That you could understand it if a black man comes up to you and talks about what's going on for him. I can't put myself in his shoes. It's not my lane, right? I can't, I can only listen, but I can't relate 100%. And I think that's why it's so important to, to do what you do and going out there and see, hey, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about our feelings. We need to get help. Like you don't have to be a superhero. You don't have to shield yourself all the time from everybody all day, every day. Exactly. If um, we talked about, oh, I want to go into a little fire round of worst relationship advice according to Mac. Um, so this is something I saw, <laughs> this is something I saw, uh, from one of your Instagram posts and it was like the five worst advice. So I'm going, we're going to go over them one by one. Okay. The first one, don't go to bed angry. Why is that bad advice? That's the dumbest advice I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. Go on, expand. A lot of times you're going to go to bed angry and that's okay. As long as you come back to the conversation. But this mindset that you can't be angry and go to bed. So what are you going to do? Stay awake and not sleep? <laughs> so yeah. Actually, having a good night's sleep and having that space away from your partner might be the difference maker in being able to come back to that conversation. Yes, yes. And actually, can I just say, like, like I, the reason why I totally agree with you on this is because some of us need time to process. Like, I need time to process. And if you're going at me straight away, it's going to be a very bad night if you don't let me process. Sometimes I need to process. I think some of us need time. Exactly. And sometimes sometimes that night's sleep may have actually rescued the awful conversation. What could have potentially Correct. been an awful conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got a feeling that expression is more like don't, maybe don't 
leave the house angry in the sense like don't leave without saying goodbye just i think it's more from the sense of like because you never know if something is going to happen that day right like that's something that's imprinted in my brain it's like make sure like the last impression you leave on that day could be the last one you just don't know what's going to happen be careful what you say to the person how you make them feel like there's something about it like i would be like yeah but we don't have to go overboard either but it's like there's there's something to it but I think, yeah, the don't go to bed angry is just not, yeah, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's, yeah, it doesn't work. Um, so this, the, second, um, the second bad advice uh, is my partner should know what I need. Why is that bad advice? I can't read your mind. Yeah. There's a lot, there's, there's just so much power in being able to vocalize exactly what it is that you need or what. We're not mind readers, and that goes for both genders. And that's what we have to learn to communicate, right? Because that's not easy. Or to tap into what we need or want to say. Exactly. Mm. Um, the third one is you're not supposed to argue. Why is that bad advice? <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing all this. We don't argue. I'm like, oh, yeah? So what conversations are you purposely avoiding? Yeah. Right? I, I, I think there's a difference between having a disagreement and having a conflict. A disagreement is guaranteed because... We're two different people, two different mindsets, two different perspectives, two different experiences. So we're not going to see eye to eye on everything. Conflict and argument, that's optional. That all depends on your either knowledge or lack of skill sets around communication skills. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, is that actually that thing about you're not supposed to argue, it's supposed to be easy? That used to make me feel like the worst human being for the longest time because I'm like, how do you go through? a relationship without ever disagreeing, arguing, like, who are you people? I'm like, are you be like, and, and I used to be like, I used to think it was, I was the problem because sometimes I'm a bit fiery and, or I just, I say my mind, I speak my mind or we have disagreement and I mm -hmm. expect the other person to disagree with me, you know, like it's, it's normal. <laughs> yeah. And the cheat code is not whether or not we argue. The cheat code is how long does it take us to repair the argument? Mm -hmm yeah and also like how you argue right like some people argue really dirty correct yeah any tips on like how to argue in a way that's like you don't cross too many lines like um 96 percent of the time the way you start a conversation is exactly how it's going to end so if you start with a criticism so if it starts with attacking your partner more than likely that's going to lead to a conflict versus hey lately i've been feeling neglected by your lack of presence in the relationship. How about sometime this weekend we drop off the kids and we just get to hang out just when I, I really miss our friendship, I really miss our connection, and I just want some undivided time for us as a couple. Does that work for you? Mm, yeah, the thing, you know what worked for me was when you said you miss our <laughs> connection. That's like, oh, okay, it's not it's not a criticism. Like, Correct. It's like, actually, you actually miss us. Yeah. The fourth one is the kids should come first. Why is that bad advice? I think that's the second dumbest advice I've <laughs> ever heard. The kids do not come first because eventually what you want to do is provide the kids, the kids with a loving space and a two-parent household so that they can grow from, right, and have healthier habits and doesn't have much traumatic experiences. In order to do so, your relationship must come first because the health of your relationship plays a direct factor into 
the kids' experiences in childhood and their upbringing. So your relationship comes first. The kids come second. Yeah, because if you have a happy relationship, like you said, like it does impact them. It impacts how, because they feel it. They can feel yeah. it. It also impacts your interaction with them and it sets a bad example for them too. Yeah. That same mom argue nonstop, mom and dad arguing nonstop for days is not going to make your kids happier. No, no. And, oh, okay, the last one. The fifth one is, you'll know, oh, sorry, I have to keep a straight face. Okay. You'll know when you find the one. Why is that bad advice? <laughs> That's bullshit. That, 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 that is straight up bullshit on this concept that the one exists. This is not a Disney movie, ladies and gentlemen. The reality is there's 7 billion people. And so thinking just that one out of 7 billion is the one, come on, that doesn't make sense. There are a number of potential ones right? You just have to take the time to really get to know them and allow them to get to know you so they can become the one. The one does not exist. One can grow into becoming the one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because also that notion of you'll know straight away sets you up to accept um, love bombing, you know, like just words, this and that, and then there's no action. It's like it just blinds you from a lot of things. That's called lust. Right, there was that too, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's lust. No, you just want to sleep with that person. Yeah. No, you just like being around them because it feels good to be around them. Yeah. And no, that is not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. And time will tell things as well. Like time exactly. is what, yeah, yeah. People, like you said, they grow on you. Um, Mac, What's up? thank you so much. Uh, I just want to... Just, just I'm going to ask you the last two questions I ask all of my guests and that I call them the finishing thoughts. The -hmm. first one is, what do you wish you real, sorry, what do you wish you realized at 18? But like really understood on on a cellular level, not just cognitively, but like, what do you really wish you realized? At the age of 18, I realized that I wish I had known that life was not even beginning yet. <laughs> I, was, I was still a child and had a lot more to learn that life is really a long-term game. And I could have prepared for that better by knowing that, you know, I'm, I'm going to live to my 70s and 80s. And 18 is not even a fraction of what my life is going to be. Mm, yeah, very true. And the second one is, what do you not put up with anymore? Oh, waste of my time. I don't put up with anyone or anything that is a waste of my time. I no longer seek validation from others. All of my validation come from within. So I don't look for others to feel complete, to feel whole, to feel accomplished. I provide all of those things for myself. And the most important thing, my personal time is non-negotiable period yeah 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 I feel that yeah (laughs) yeah and so before before you tell us where we can find you work with you and so on is there anything else that you'd like to share with us maybe something I you didn't get a chance to express or I may have cut you off like is anything else that you'd like to leave us with um, I would just say when it comes to relationships and mental health in general, play offense, don't play defense. What does that mean? 
couples wait about six years to live before going to couples therapy, meaning I need everyone to start prioritizing their mental health by playing offense by going the same way that we go to see a doctor, the same way we go see a dentist, the same way that we go for our physical and, and et cetera. We should also make it a routine to check in with a therapist just to see how our relationship is doing and how, what is the health of our mental health. Mm. And what when would you say is a good time to start therapy as a couple? Like, is there like a like date five once, or two years uh, in? <laughs> I, I would say I would say that once you become once you become exclusive, you should already start to think of couples therapy. But I would say um, once you get into year two, I'd say it's beneficial to go to couples therapy because. Between year four and five, that's when you go through the I'm no longer in love with you phase. Mm -hmm. And that tends to be the space where most couples break up or have the highest rate of divorce. So I would say go within that space so you have the skill sets and mindsets needed to overcome those challenges. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Because that's a tough phase to go through, could imagine. Um, and so thank you so much, Mac. Please tell us, like, where can we find you work with you it's been such an honor to have you on and thank you so much for being you know open with me and share you know share your, share your insights with us where can people find you where can they work with you give us all the good stuff you can find me on instagram as talk to mac on underscore therapist talk t-a-l-k the number two underscore therapist um you can also find my podcast that i co-host with one of my friends um, it's called Menage a Mind, Menage a Trois, with, <laughs> instead of the Trois, it's the Mind, M-E-N-A-G-E-A, Mind, M-I-N-D. And those two things should be able to give you all of the links that you'll need to find me on any platform or to work with me. Thank you so much. It's been really, really fun to have you on, Mag. And I, yeah, I can't wait to see where all your work takes you. And uh, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you. And that's our episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Please don't forget to rate, review, share it, subscribe, follow it on Spotify or whichever platform you listen from. However you show love is how you can support this show. Drop me your questions or suggestions for future episodes via the website at angie-s.com or come and find me on Instagram at tool for dish it podcast. Until next time. Using health inappropriately.